Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited we get to be together. And uh, I already want to know, I answer a question I know some of you are going to ask. Why am I wearing this sweatshirt? Well, I want to tell you why, because I am a fan of the series, The Chosen, uh, which uh, the first season's wrapped, and now we're getting ready for season two. And um, so anyway, this is a, a, a apparel that comes from them. And here's the reason I'm wearing it in part. Dallas Jenkins, who's the uh, creator, the writer, the director, uh, the genius behind the Chosen series is actually going to be with us pretty soon on my podcast. I get to interview J Dallas. He is, if you, didn't, if you didn't catch the first interview we did, this guy is off the charts incredible. So you got to hear from him. Plus, at Christmas time, at Christmas, we're going to be using what's called the Chosen Christmas Story, which Dallas did, and he's given us permission to use it for our Christmas show. So you're going to get to see it. Uh, when we showed it just recently, my assistant, Tracy, I look over and she's in tears. She's just crying because it was so moving and so touching. So you not only want to see this, you want all your friends to see it. But speaking of Christmas, uh, there's a couple things you can do right now to make sure Christmas is extra special for you. Uh, the first is Operation Christmas Child. Uh, normally, uh, we would physically give out boxes, and we kind of are this year, but we want to take it up a notch. We want to make it bigger and better and have our whole online family be a part of it too. So you could go to crossroadschurch.family, crossroadschurch.family, and virtually fill a box. Now, for those of you who don't know what this is, let me tell you. These boxes go all around the world to children who are under-resourced and would not be able to have Christmas. And you and I can make sure they have a Christmas. Uh, I've interacted with pastors in other countries who say, my church benefits from this because what happens is through the Franklin Graham organization, these get shipped to uh, different churches and they go out and they show love to the community and they have them understand who Jesus is and why he came, which is what we're going to talk about today in a minute. So make sure you fill a box. Uh, if you want to do it physically, you can. If you want to do it virtually, you can. By the way, all the parents out there, I think you ought to have your kids sit with you and, and have them help pick out the, the child and the age of the child. So you check out whether boy or girl and what age and have them help you fill the box and have them see what it means that Jesus wants us in a season like this to care for others, give to others, Operation Christmas Child. The other thing I'm super excited about, and you got to get this early, is our Christmas Advent devotional. It's kind of a journal devotional, but we uh, wrote this so that we as a church family because starting November the 29th, celebrate the 25 days of Advent. Advent is the coming of Christ. Jesus is coming the first time. That was his first Advent when he came as a baby in a manger. He's coming back again. We're going to talk about that today too, by the way. And uh, uh, he's coming back again as the second Advent. But during Christmas, we want to celebrate the first Advent of Christ. What Christmas is all about. Uh, I've talked to a bunch of people recently and I said, don't you agree that, man, you love Christmas, but sometimes you feel like the whole meaning of Christmas is lost. Like people forget the Christ of Christmas. Well, every day for 25 days, about 10 minutes a day, you'll open this up and you can go through it. Hopefully you'll do it with friends. Uh, if you're single, get fr uh, your friends to do it. Uh, you could do it with family. Uh, you could do it as a couple, uh, but you go through it and we'll all be thinking the same thought all 25 days. So you can go to crossroadschurch.family to get this, or you could go to our crossroadschurch.com and hit shop to get it. And we have other stuff there too. So make sure 
Make sure you do that early. Make sure you fill out a box for Operation Christmas Child. Make sure you get your Advent journal before the 29th so that we can do this together because we want Christmas to be Christmas in a more meaningful way than it ever has before. And I think in this season, we need to do that. We need to be a part of that. Now, I want to give you a heads up. The message today is heavy. Uh, For some of you, it's actually going to be maybe hard to hear. Uh, For some of you, it's going to create this thing called cognitive dissonance. Why? Because I think that you may not have an accurate picture of who Jesus really is. See, a lot of people, I I realize this, I'll talk with them and they don't really know who Jesus is. Uh, The picture they have in their mind doesn't match the reality of our Lord and Savior. Um, I'll, I'll have you think about this. Some people see Jesus more like Santa. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, they, they like the idea of the feeling of Santa. They like, they like the idea of the kind of spirit of Santa. But in reality, Santa doesn't exist. He's someone you might ask for things, but you never get them. Uh, or, or you say it's true for a while, but it really isn't. And a lot of people see Jesus like it's someone that it makes you feel good in the moment. But if you pray to him, you never get anything from him. And by the way, that always bothers me. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how that, not, that shouldn't be the case. But for some people, it is because they don't know the real Jesus. Um, other people see Jesus more like Satan, not Santa, but Satan. Now, what do I mean by that? They think that Jesus is out to get them. They think Jesus is going to, to condemn you and attack you and put you down and make you feel bad and, and proclaim you're a sinner and can never be free and, and is accusing you of how you never measure up. And by the way, that isn't an accurate picture of Jesus either, obviously, because there is a Satan who actually is the accuser and is always, always, always telling you how bad you are, how you can't make it how you have no value, how you really in the end ought to just live for you and not for others. But Jesus has come with a whole different message. And and so while we're going to see in a minute, he will at some point bring judgment. He in the end is the one who could not love you more than he does. And, and then the third way a lot of people see Jesus is like Barney. <laughs> Anybody remember Barney? Or maybe you go, hey, remember, I'm watching Barney now. You, you know, Barney was a big purple dinosaur, and he would sing this little cute song about, I love you, you love me, and, and you know, can't we all just get along and be together? And, and he's this big squishy dinosaur, and, and he just makes you feel so good. And a lot of people see Jesus that way. But you know what the reality is, is Jesus is real. And Jesus wants you to know him for who he is. And in the end, you need to understand he is Lord, he is Savior, but he's also King of Kings, and he's a judge. So I want you to think about this. I talk about it all the time. In Isaiah, Isaiah tells us that he saw what he saw. He heard what he heard. In other words, he saw Jesus for who he was. He heard the words of Jesus coming right out, sharing. By the way, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus said, these words apply to me. These words are about me. And in Isaiah 61.1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus said. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. 
See, in that passage right there, we see seven ministries of Jesus, seven ways that Jesus acts and interacts with us and with the nations of the world. Now, when Isaiah heard Jesus quote those words about himself, Jesus uh, only quoted the first five. He didn't go into the sixth and seventh ministry, the sixth and seventh way of interacting. Why? Because when Jesus came the first time, he came to an act for you and for me and for this world, the first five ministries, and we are waiting. We're very close. We're in countdown mode to number six. But let's look at the first five real quickly. He came to bring good news to those who need it. We saw this last week. We, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to bring freedom from hurt. He came to bring freedom from your bad choices. <clears throat> and he came so you and I would know God's favor. Now, now, Jesus wants that to be true for you still today. It was true then, it's true now. But there's number six. And number six is the one that's going to happen. Jesus is coming to judge. Jesus is coming to judge. Um, one time Pam and I were driving in the car and Pam like gasped and I said, what is it? And she goes, look at that bumper sticker. And I looked over and it said this, Jesus Christ is coming back and this time he's pissed. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. Uh, you can replay if you want to hear the words. But, but I, I was laughing and Pam is laughing and I said, but you know what? That's really good theology. Um, it's really true. The first time Jesus came, he came to do the first five ministries and he came to be our Lord and came to be our savior. And so you and I, when we commit to him as Lord, he becomes our savior. And so the baby in the manger would grow to be the man who would die on the cross for our sins. That's the first coming of Christ. But he's coming back again a second time and he's coming back to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back to bring judgment to the world. And so you and I, you and I cannot separate uh, Jesus from who he is. See, so many people only want to see Jesus one way, but I want you to have the correct view, the view that the Bible tells us, the view that Jesus showed us, and the view that Isaiah saw and heard. And so he's coming to judge. He's coming as judge, and you and I need to be aware of that. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says this, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. So while God wants to save, Jesus wants to save, there's also a judgment that you need to be saved from. By the way, have you ever thought, what do I need to be saved from? Saved from your sins. Saved from the pains of the past. Saved from things that would hurt you. But saved from judgment. So this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. So you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you. Now, in this particular say, uh, verse, he's talking about anybody who persecutes a Christian verbally or, or physically uh, or emotionally. Uh, God is going to come and bring judgment upon them. Why? Because you and I are God's children. And when you're a father and someone hurts your child, when you're a father and someone hurts your child, man, you are going to unleash it. And I think we all get that. We all get it. Um, I don't know about you, but I think most of us, if not all of us, are horrified and heartbroken over what Dr. Larry Nasser did to so many gymnasts who are a part of the gymnastics program of the United States. How many girls trusted him? How many families 
sent their daughter into a room with him. And he sexually molested them. And when it started coming out what he had done, I think people were were horrified, like I said. Then when the numbers started to be revealed and how, how broad uh, the perpetration of this evil became, man, everybody, everybody said he needs to pay, he needs to pay. But I think a lot of people, as we watched him, uh, usually in, in news scenes in the courtroom or, or maybe watched some of that, you just saw him sitting there stoic, like not even, not even being willing to take responsibility for what he did. And girl after girl stood up and talked about how he had wounded them and hurt them and, and, and infected their life in such horrible ways. And then there was a scene, and I'm going to show it to you in a minute, where a father gets up and he's beginning to share how he's feeling. And he looks over and Dr. Nasser, he, does, he's, he like just sits there bland, non-responsive. And the dad loses it. He loses it. I want you to watch this. Judge, what a distraught father have a chance to say something. Go ahead, sir. Mm-hmm. If we, we don't want to swear. Yeah. We don't want to have profanity. I can't imagine the anger and the anxiety and the feeling of wanting retribution and if you need to say something to help you, I'm more than willing to let you say something. But in a courtroom, we, we, try, we don't use profanity. But if you have some words that you would like to say, I would like to give you the opportunity to say them. I would ask you to, as part of this sentencing, to grant me five minutes in a locked room with this demon. I have would a you feel- do that? I, I, that is not yes how our. No. no, sir, I can't. Would you do give me that. one minute? I, you know that I can't do that. That's not how our legal well, system I'm works. Have to Right now, I want to say it. Okay, we need to let God be the one who brings judgment and vengeance. But I think you would say this. I can relate to that father. Matter of fact, uh, when I watch it, it, you almost see like the policemen that are holding him back don't want to hold him back. Like, I'm I'm not so sure they don't want to join him. (laughs) And I don't know why I'm laughing, but maybe because it's, we understand there's a time for judgment. We understand there's a time for justice. We understand there's a time where people will and should pay the price for the evil they've done. And in that moment, that father couldn't contain himself. You know, a God is a father who is not going to contain himself. He's going to come. He's going to bring judgment. Jesus is going to enact it in a way that is strong. And when Isaiah saw it, he couldn't believe it. He actually says, who is this? He had seen Jesus uh, uh, as the baby. 
uh, that, that would be God with us. He saw Jesus suffering. He saw him emaciated from all the brutality enacted on him. He saw him come back and he sees him reign. But now we're going to a point again where he sees him coming to judge. And it's in Isaiah 63, verse 1, and it says, Who is this who comes from Edom? And Edom, by the way, is symbolic of a country that is the enemy of the people of God. So it's who is this that comes from a place where people are against God? With garments of glowing colors from Basra. Basra is the capital city of Edom. So it's the capital city of a place that's anti-God. It says this, the one who was majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I who speaks in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah says, who are you? I mean, you're glowing red. By the way, the, the Hebrew word there is you're glowing crimson red, glowing crimson red. And, and so he's glowing out uh, and, and he's got blood on him. That's why it's crimson. And, and Isaiah is amazed at it. The apostles saw Jesus at one time glowing. I mean, glowing. In Luke 9, 29, it says that while Jesus was praying and the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. So when he came the first time, they saw him gleaming and white. Now, now Isaiah sees him glowing in crimson red. And he's he begins to think, who are you? And, and the answer comes back from the one who's glowing. It is I who comes mighty to save. I've come mighty to save. And then Isaiah asked a question in Isaiah 63, verse 2. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? Why is it splattered upon? Why is there so much red on you? And, and Jesus answers back and says, I have treaded the winepress alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger. Now, don't miss that. Jesus does get angry. In the Gospels, we see him get angry. Uh, when he saw uh, them uh, uh, ripping people off in the temple, remember, he overturned the tables and he drove them out. And he was angry in that moment. There is an anger Jesus has over sin and over evil and over those who are afflicted and hurt by people. He has that anger. And it says this, I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments and I stained all my raiment. All my clothes are stained as, as I trod, I trod the winepress as I came in an act of judgment as their blood is splattered out. And it says, for the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come. See, we can't miss again that Jesus, Jesus will judge. Now, he took our sins upon himself so he could take our judgment upon himself. But if you and I don't accept that, if you and I don't open up to that, if you and I don't commit ourselves to him as Lord and Savior, then that leaves us in a position where he will become our judge. And there will be a slaughter. See, again, a lot of times you don't want to hear this, but you got to hear it. You got to know how true this is. In Revelation 19, John the apostle sees what Isaiah saw, and he gives a, a different perspective on the same event. And it says in Revelation 19, verse 11, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, notice this, he judges in righteousness, he judges and wages war. 
His eyes, now this is a description of Jesus. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Remember what Isaiah said, it's crimson red, and it's stained with the blood of the enemies. And it says it's a robe dipped in blood, not his blood the blood of those who will not accept him. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on horses. Now catch that. That's us, by the way. If you're wondering who the army in heaven is, we are raptured up into heaven to be with Jesus. And then when he returns to judge, then he comes down leading the way and we come following him. So we are behind him as he comes to bring judgment on the earth. Now notice what it says in verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations strike down the nations he's going to judge people but he's also going to judge nations which have no ability to stand against him and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of god the almighty See, there's a day of anger coming, a day of wrath coming for anybody who will not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, God's angry over the fact that he would give his only begotten son for us. And so many people would not only not, not be for that, they wouldn't even care. It doesn't even affect their life at all that Jesus died for them. That actually angers God. Apathy actually makes God more angry than when we're against him apathy, lukewarmness, lukewarm over the fact that God would love you and I so much he would do whatever he could for us to be saved and forgiven. And then we would treat it like it doesn't matter or it's ignored uh, and not even affecting our life. And God comes and says, you know what? That's not going to be okay with me. And a day's going to come. You'll pay if you will not allow me to come and, and embrace you in forgiveness and grace and love. And then it talks about Jesus again, and it says, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he goes, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds of midheaven, come and assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. See, it's so interesting that a lot of people don't know this part of the Bible, this truth of who Jesus is, that he will come, he will come to judge. He will come, and, and this is what's being described, and, and destroy and slaughter anybody who's left behind that did not want to accept the, the grace and the love of God. Uh, one time when my boys were little, um, I, I had to run out to, uh, to teach Bible study, but I got all the way to the car, and I had forgotten some things. And we had a rule. My rule was, hey, when we put you guys to bed, you got to stay in bed because we wanted them to be safe. And, and I come walking into the house and I look towards their room and I can see in the shadows my oldest son, who was probably about five years old then or four years old, he's dancing around and waving everything and he's not supposed to be doing that. He's supposed to be in bed and, and we didn't want him to get hurt because they had gotten hurt before. So what happened is I go walking towards the door of the room as quietly as I can. 
and I look in and Rich is just dancing around and, and, and in a place he's not supposed to be. And his little brother's in, in his bed. He's not out of his bed. He's laughing at him. He's probably about three. And then I step into the room and Tim, my three-year-old, looks up and sees me and you see him freak out because they know now they're in trouble. They know dad has caught them doing something they shouldn't do. And so he's looking at me all freaking out. And so I go walking past Tim and sneak up on Rich. Rich doesn't see me coming. And he's waving these things in the air. And all of a sudden, one of them hits me. And he spins around. And he looks up at me. And he realizes he's busted. And he hops up on the bed. He goes, Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm sorry. And from behind me, I hear my other son, Tim. And he's yelling, Rich, you're going to get in trouble. Rich, you're going to get so busted. (laughs) Why? Because he was behind me and judgment was before me. See, Jesus Christ is coming back and we're coming with him, but we're on the mercy side. And Jesus wants you on the mercy side. And and if you don't choose that, I'm going to say this, sadly, you'll get what you deserve. See, one of the truths you need to understand is nobody deserves heaven. Everybody deserves hell. But God doesn't want you to get what you deserve. He wants to get love to you grace to you, all these things to you. See, in 2 Thessalonians 1, it says this. He wants to give relief to those who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven and his mighty angels with him in flaming fire, dealing out retribution, dealing out retribution when he comes back to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all those who believe. For our testimony to you was believed. There are two groups here those who are going to have retribution and acted upon them, and the others who will be those who benefit from redemption, the redemption of Jesus Christ. And I want you to be aware, the Lord wants you. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to have that. Because one truth of Jesus is he wants to be Lord and Savior, but to be Savior so he'll save you from sin and from judgment. If not, the other truth is there. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will judge. And he's a righteous judge. By the way, I don't mention that. Nobody who gets judged doesn't deserve it. He's a righteous judge. By the way, did you catch what he talks about? Who will be judged? And so we see two groups that are judged. One, it says those who do not know God. Those who do not know God. And in 2 Thessalonians, remember the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. And in 2 Thessalonians, the word know, who do not know God, is a Greek word, ido, which means to see. It means to really know, to really understand, which by the way, that's part of why I'm trying to make sure you do today. I want you to see Jesus for who he is. It's so loving and yet so strong. It's so willing to sacrifice himself for you, but also so willing to bring judgment if you won't accept it. I want you to see the truth. And Ido, the Greek word Ido means I get it. I get it. I get the truth. I get the truth. But the key is you have to know Jesus for who he is. You have to know Jesus for who he is, and you have to know him by experience. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
Jesus goes on to say, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And then it goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Now, I want you to know that we said, I'm not going to allow you to come into heaven. You could say you're a Christian. He goes, many people on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. In other words, but I'm a Christian. And he's going to say, but I don't know you. Or you'll say, you know, I did a lot of religious things, but I don't know you. And the word know there is a different Greek word, by the way. It's a Greek word, gnosko, that means to know by experience. To know by experience. See, uh, every now and then I'll have someone come up to me and say, oh my gosh, Pastor Chuck, you're my pastor. And, but this is like the first time I've ever seen you in person. I, I had that happen just the other day. <laughs> and, and I got to say this, I, I, I love getting to see you guys. I love getting to be with you. But the truth is, we don't know each other. You might know who I am by, by sight on a, on a, because of a video screen, but we don't know each other. By the way, that's why we want to connect with you so much. So we have a relationship together. Because you can know who someone is, but not know them. And Jesus said, I don't want you just to know who I am. I want you to know me. And see, so he said, on that day, I'm going to stand there and people are going to come on judgment day and say, but Lord, and he's going to go, but I don't know you. They're going to go, but I, I went to church and the Lord's going to be, but that's not knowing me. Um, See, here's the key. Do you know him? Do you really know him by experience? Uh, are, are you, is he talking with you and sharing you, with you and, and giving you joy and giving you peace and, and guiding you? Are all those things real? Because they need to be real for you because God wants them to be. So he said, you got to know me. You got to know me. The second thing he said is you got to obey me. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8, it says, He will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it, it's not only knowing Him, it's knowing Him as Lord and Savior where you commit your life to Him and, and you do His will. Back in Matthew, look again at what Jesus said. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or not everybody who says I'm a Christian will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he said, right away, I'll know who's really mine because we know each other and you obey me. You obey me. You do the will of my Father. And by the way, this comes down to do you really love the Lord? Jesus in John 14, 21 said these words. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and... I will disclose myself to him. See that on the screen. Don't miss that. He said, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And if you love me and obey my commandments, I will disclose myself to you. In other words, I'll reveal my presence to you. I'll become very, very powerfully present with you. And, and it's true. When we know him and we obey him, then what happens is we experience a relationship with him. Uh, and, and by the way, and, and here's what Jesus said. It's, it comes down to love. See, we're not saved because of what we do. We're saved because of what he did. But when we give ourselves to Jesus and accept the gift he gave us on the cross, then what happens is everybody begins to do what he wants you to do. And you begin to experience him in a powerful, vivid, amazing way.
And Jesus said, I want that to be true for you. I want that to be true for you. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. By the way, see, if you love the Lord, you'll keep his word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. In other words, we will be so close. We'll share life together. We'll live life together. We'll experience things together. And it says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Jesus said it really is easy to see. If you love me, you'll obey my word. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do the will of my Father in heaven. If you love me and you obey me, then I'll disclose myself to you and reveal myself to you and I will live with you. I will share life with you. I'll always be with you. See, we need to understand who Jesus is, though. If you're going to know him, you got to know the real Jesus. He is Lord, he is Savior, and he is the one who will enact the vengeance of the day of our God and bring judgment to a world that needs to be judged because he is the righteous judge. And I hope for you, he's your Lord and your Savior. And then you and I will be on the right side of judgment. Uh, There was a a young junior high age boy who uh, was making bad, bad choices horrible grades in school, getting in fights all the time. And one day uh, he ran into a store and stole some things and the owner yelled at him and said, put that back. And he went running out of the store as fast as he could because he knew he could outrun the owner. And so he's running and he actually thinks it's funny. And the owner's chasing and screaming at him. And then all of a sudden he goes to dart in and, and run through the traffic so he can make it past and he won't, you know, get away. But he gets midway into the street and looks up and a huge truck is coming and he has no way to get out of the way. And he freezes in the moment holding the stuff he's stolen. And then he's standing there ready to be killed, ready to be just destroyed by this huge truck. When all of a sudden a man, another man grabs him and 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 tackles him but they go rolling out of the way this guy was a big guy and he wraps up that junior high kid and when he holds him in his arms he shields him from the tumbling and the, the asphalt and and everything that they were tumbling over and when they get to the other side the truck roars by and this man's got him in his arms and they stand up together and the kid is just freaked out he looks and see the The man who rescued him is all scarred up. I mean, he's hurt pretty bad. He risked his life for him. He went through incredible pain for him. And the man looked at him, and all of a sudden he looks over and sees the owner running up closer. And the man looks at the kid and said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. He said, did you steal the stuff from this man? And he said, I did. So when the owner gets there, he He looks at him and says, how much does he owe you? I'll pay for it. And so he gives him money for the stuff and the owner takes off and the kid's standing there and and the man said to him, he said, you know what? He said, don't live like this anymore. I want you to make better choices. I want you to make your life matter. I saved you today. So I I want you to make your life matter. And they leave. For a while, the kid did. For a while, the kid did change. He did start trying. But over the course of time, he slipped back into all the things he shouldn't, even and got involved in a gang. And about three or four years later, he was a part of shooting some people in a drive-by. But he got caught. 
And uh, he's put on trial for murder, premeditated murder. And when he goes to court and he is in the courtroom and the judge comes walking in, he can't believe it, but the judge is the very man who saved him. He recognizes him right away and he looks thinking, he's, I know I've grown some, I know I'm older now, but he's got to know who I am. And he's looking at the judge waiting for a moment of recognition, but he never gets it. Uh, the trial's not all that long because they had him dead to rights on what he had done. And so uh, once the trial starts winding down, the jury quickly returns a guilty verdict of first degree murder. And again, the whole time this this kid is thinking, but the judge has got to know who I am. And then the day of sentencing comes. And the judge comes walking in and everybody rises and then they say, be seated. And he sits down and the judge looks at this young kid and says, do you have anything to say for yourself? And he stands up and he said, the only thing I can say is your honor. Do you know who I am? And the judge said, I know who you are. The minute I saw you, I recognized you. You're that young boy I saved that day who stole something from a store. And he said, I am. And the judge said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, today I'm going to sentence you to die. You did it. And the kid looked at him and goes, how can you, how can you do that to me? And the judge said this, that day that I, I got you away from that truck, I was your savior. But today I'm your judge today I'm your judge. Which one is Jesus going to be for you? He wants to be a savior who says, go live a better life. He wants to be a savior who said like he did to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He wants to be a savior that says, come and, and really love me and let me love you. But if you love me, you obey my commandments. And this is an all or nothing all or nothing relationship. You can't be halfway. You can't be lukewarm. You can't be in one moment, out another. You got to be completely committed. And there's some of you right now, this is your day you need to be committed. This is your moment to say yes to him in a very real way. See, Isaiah saw him for who he was. And, and John, the apostle in the book of Revelations, tells us who he is. But most of all, Jesus wants to show you show you that he can, he will, he wants to come and be your Lord, come and be your savior. But if you won't accept it in reality, really accept that, really commit to that, then I'm telling you one day he'll be your judge. These aren't just words. This is the reality. This is the truth. And I, I personally want you to know his love. I want you to know the life he has for you. He wants that so much. He died on the cross for you. So right now, there are some of you, this is your moment. You need to commit your life to the Lord. Some of you need to recommit your life to the Lord. This is your moment. This is your time. And I don't want you to put it off. Please don't put it off. So right now, I'm going to call for you to come near, to open up your heart to Jesus, to commit your life to him. And here's what the Bible teaches on how you do that. On number one, you make a private commitment by praying. You pray a prayer. In a moment, I'll lead that prayer. We'll pray it together where you either commit or recommit your life to Christ. 
We'll just pray that. And you're going to tell them, I want to give my life to you. I want the forgiveness uh, and cleansing that you, you paid for on the cross for me. So I want you to forgive my sins and cleanse me. I want to, I want to live my life with you and for you. You're going to say those words. We're going to say them together. And, and it starts with that. But then the next thing you need to do is you need to acknowledge him. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus said this, if you acknowledge me before people, before men, I will acknowledge you before my fathers in heaven. He goes, but if you deny me, I will deny you. So Jesus very clearly says, I want you to draw near to me by praying and committing your life to me. Then I want you to make it known. I want you to acknowledge you've done this. Now, how do you do that? Well, I want you to do this this way. We want you to text us. If you're going to pray this prayer to commit or recommit, I want you to text us. Just grab your phone, grab your iPad, find a way to text and text us. Amen which means the truth, means I'm really doing this, amen to 69922. Text amen to 69922. And then, by the way, we're going to get back to you and we're going to ask your name. And that's how you say who you are. That's how you acknowledge you're making this commitment to Christ. And also that's how we can connect with you and start to truly get to know you. Because you matter to us and we want to know who you are. And then after you share your name, we want to send you a free copy of a book called The Purpose Driven Life, which will help you find God's purpose for you and the purpose for which he made you and the life you're meant to live. And we'll send that to you free, a free electronic copy of that. But, but you need to get back to us. But right now, here's the question. Do you know the real Jesus? Because remember, he said that not everyone who says they're a Christian does. And maybe you're not even saying you're a Christian. Do you know him? Do you really know him? And, and if you want to know him, then it starts by making that commitment. So I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer with me right now. I'm going to ask you to open your heart right now. And so we have lots of people praying. And by the way, if you're a Christian, start praying for people to say yes to him. But I want you to pray the prayer with me. And if you're ready to say yes to him, then do this. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. And he did, he did. So, so say these words, say, please forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. Please heal me from hurt and pain and free me from anything that would hold me down or hold me back. But most of all, please make me yours and make me alive and make me brand new because I say yes to you and I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to say that if you prayed that prayer, I am so excited for you. And I want you to know how much God has for you. But by the way, it's for you, all of us, everybody who loves the Lord. God has so many incredible things for you. And he wants you to live a life where you go out with joy and are led forth with peace. And here's what it says in Isaiah 55. And the mountains and the hills break forth with singing before you.